Welcome to Under the Bleachers. This is a podcast that explores all things sports, all things queer, and the fabulous intersection where queer and sports meet. This podcast is brought to you by Team DC, the nonprofit association of LGBTQ plus sports and recreation organizations in the Washington, D.C. area. I'm Laura. I'm the vice president of Team DC, and I've played and loved sports my whole life. I've played with Team DC member clubs, the DC Furies Women's Rugby Club, and Rogue Darts. And I'm Gabe. I'm also on the board of Team DC, and I'm a diehard sports fan. I've played with many of the Team DC member clubs, including the DC Gay Flag Football League, Kara Bowling, Stonewall Kickball, Rogue Darts, and the Washington Scandals Rugby Football Club. I'm also a member of the DC Different Drummers, and I do a little bit of drag on the side. We hope you enjoy this week's trip under the bleachers. Welcome, everyone. Gabe and Laura here. It's April 19th, and you're listening to Under the Bleachers. On this podcast, we take turns, and this week it's Laura's turn to choose our topics. For our discussion of all things queer, she chose the Gay Bachelor. For our conversation on all things sports, we're talking about the WNBA draft. And for our topic of the intersection of sports and queer, we're talking about the NCAA's statement on trans athletes. After that, we're going to share our interview with professional rugby player Casey Renard of the Old Glory DC. First, a quick update on Team DC. Team DC and its member clubs continue to partner with Nelly's Sports Bar for the Heroes for Heroes campaign, providing free meals to DC's frontline workers. Last week, meals were delivered to Community of Hope Clinic and Birthing Center in Southwest DC and to the Entertainment and Sports Arena Vaccine Distribution Center. The meals were sponsored by Team DC, DC Gay Basketball League, Adventuring, and Stonewall Kickball Teams, the Secret Servicers, the Blue Ballers, the Mounties, the Scorgies, and the Swallows. For a starting donation of just $50, you or your organization can help sponsor one of these meals. If you're interested, please contact Brent Miner at brent at teamdc.org. As COVID restrictions start to ease, member clubs are beginning to increase some activities. Be sure to follow Team DC and its member clubs on social media for updates. Find Team DC on Facebook at Team DC LGBT and on Twitter and Instagram at Team DC Sports. Laura and I will be bringing you new episodes of Under the Bleachers every Monday at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all your favorite podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast to help us get the word out. And share us with a friend or two if you know people that would be interested in listening in. With that, here's Laura with our first topic in this week's trip under the bleachers. Okay, first up, our queer topic of the week. The internet is a buzz because the Virgin Bachelor is gay, but apparently Billy Eichner knew that already. For those living under a rock, The Bachelor is a dating and relationship reality show in which one bachelor begins with a pool of romantic interests from whom he is expected to select a wife. During the course of the season, The Bachelor eliminates candidates each week, eventually culminating in a marriage proposal to his final selection. The participants travel to romantic and exotic locations for their dates And the conflicts in the series, both internal and external, stem from the elimination style format of the show. There have been 25 seasons of The Bachelor, a truly stunning number if you ask me. 
The show's 23rd season featured bachelor Colton Underwood, a conservative Catholic former NFL player. He was also a virgin, which became a main focus of his season on The Bachelor. Chris Harrison, the host of The Bachelor, teased the season by saying, quote, he just might lose something along the way. And if you didn't just cringe, go check your soul. (laughs) Apparently, Colton's season on The Bachelor went really well. He dated all the women, talked a lot about being a virgin, had Billy Eichner declare, quote, maybe you're the first gay bachelor and we don't even know in one of the episodes, and had a meltdown in another episode, storming away, pushing a cameraman and jumping a fence to flee after contestant Cassie chose to leave the show even though he begged her to stay. But Cassie decided to come back and in the end, Colton chose Cassie. But he chose not to propose to her or anyone, which honestly I didn't know was something The Bachelor could do. Cassie and Colton went on to date for a year after the show, and that ended with Cassie filing for a restraining order against Colton. This week, the story took another turn as Colton went on Good Morning America to publicly announce that he is gay. Bachelor Nation is said to have been shocked, although as someone who has never seen The Bachelor, I have to say I'm a bit surprised that anyone is super surprised that a conservative Catholic former NFL player who somehow stayed a virgin into his mid-20s and then went on a reality dating show to find a partner is gay. This seems like the worst plot twist ever. So now, The internet is demanding a gay season of The Bachelor. Colton Underwood has a deal with Netflix and is making a reality show about his coming out story. And I still can't believe that a show like The Bachelor even exists. So Gabe, (laughs) do you watch The Bachelor? Um, Once in a while, but I'm not like a big Bachelor fan. Uh, One of my old coworkers was obsessed and I'd walk into work and she'd be watching it before we started actually working. Uh, and, and I would always ask her like okay what's the you know give me the the tea on what's going on with the bachelor today because she was obsessed um and I do remember the whole Colton story and him jumping over the fence because that was the big <laughs> drama of the season I had to like <laughs> I was like I did some research to see like what were the highlights of Colton's season and that was pretty much all I could find oh that they like, milked that oh. ABC milked that over and over and over again <laughs> like every promo was him jumping this fence like running away like pissed because and like I don't like were they portraying that as like a good quality that he was like yes so that he was so in love with her and so and, broken yeah, as opposed to like what a psychopath who like <laughs> apparently pushed a bunch of people and ran away because he didn't get his way I mean like if there's anything yeah. that should have given you a red flag that this guy was going to end up with a restraining order against him <laughs> maybe that was it but okay I mean, yes, because he didn't like what Cassie C or whatever. They all, my favorite thing is always have because they have like three people named Emily or like four <laughs> girls named like Karen. So it's yeah. like Karen C hates Emily S and like right. Yeah, the whole it's like thing. third grade again where you have to like call yes. everybody by the first <laughs> Oh man, crazy! But, but yeah, uh, so I don't know. Colton is gay. I mean, listen, I'm not gonna judge Colton obviously for you know his coming out story. Some. It takes people longer than others. I judge him for going on The Bachelor, but I would judge everybody for (laughs) The Bachelor. I think it's like a really piss poor way of trying to find a it it takes a very very special person to go to on a reality dating show like The Bachelor, The Bachelorette. I mean, explain to me the theory behind like you've not successfully found a partner in your life and you think 
that the solution to that is to date 25 people at once and then get uh then get engaged right in like four days yeah i don't know <laughs> I, the whole thing sounds maddening but um I don't know. What do you think about, do you think they should do a gay season of the bachelor? I'm like, I'm pretty sure logo TV already did this. But. Yeah. It was finding Prince charming. Who was on it? Uh, Lance Bass did it. Um, and there've been a whole bunch of shows like that, but honestly, <laughs> if they had like a gay bachelor, everyone would be hooking up in the house and like, no <laughs> one would get, you know, it'd just be like a wild, crazy orgy. And yeah, no one would find love, I think, or maybe they would. Maybe I don't everyone would find, everyone love. would find someone or yeah. syphilis. It's kind of like when they do like the Bachelor spinoff where they do like Bachelor in Paradise and they like send them to this resort in Mexico. And I feel so bad because it's like old flames all get together and basically everyone's just hooking up this entire show and you're just watching people hook up for entertainment. Yeah, I've not ever. (laughs) I don't know what that is, although I remember there used to be that show Love Island, which sounds like this is basically the same thing. Yeah, they take all the like people that didn't win all basically all the losers of The Bachelor and The Bachelorette and stick them in an island. Okay, Mexico and get them drunk. And I mean, you know, if you're social experiment. Yeah, like if you're doing it for a free vacation to a resort, like that's cool. Um and there's nothing wrong with hooking up. Don't get me wrong. Like, I don't have a problem with that. I, I think the concept of people going on the show because the they really TV. believe that they're going to fall <laughs> in love is crazy. And I also think that the the fact that we're supposed to believe that not ni- that 90% of them aren't just there to try to get famous as opposed, you know, most of those people don't think they're going to get married. Oh, yeah, it's just exposure. Yeah. So I mean, it's like, so we're supposed to watch it and pretend that we believe that they're all fully invested in this romantic relationship. It's crazy, but you know, whatever, if they want to have a gay season, the bachelor, I think that's fine. If you like, to the extent you like dating in reality shows, there should be one for everybody. Right. <laughs> now I did see that Gus Kenworthy is getting a whole bunch of negative press for the first time. Well, he, so he's going to, I didn't really understand, like, is he hosting or like, is he, he acting as like the facilitator? Kind of. He's like else? the gay mentor or like. So, so Colton Underwood is going to have this show on Netflix, which they must've already started filming because I assume his whole big reveal on Good Morning America is going to be part of it. Yes. Um, and it's probably already filmed. And it's supposed to be time. about his coming out process. Um, so you could take that to mean anything right like yeah we don't know yeah but i like i don't understand why what gus kensworthy like what is he gonna do like he's gonna help him be gay he's gonna i I mean hopefully sit him down and make him watch like a whole bunch of uh john waters movies and I, I mean, is he going to bring in a psychologist to maybe talk him through the whole process of figuring out that like staying a virgin that long was probably a defense mechanism and <laughs> getting all obsessed with Cassie was probably very little about Cassie and very much about him trying to hold on to that last shred of the facade <laughs> of everything of his straightness. I mean, I don't know the whole thing. I, I hope, crazy. I hope it's a mix like going into like his story and like, yeah, going into the whole like psychology of it like you know i'm not gonna lie i'll probably watch it yeah (laughs) but i hope they also do like the cultural things like you need to know your gay icons you need to know all the things like all the people that came before you he worked so hard to be closeted his whole life he probably doesn't know any share yeah exactly he needs all his 
his gay herstory. He needs it all. <laughs> and I hope that, well, I mean, I mean, hopefully Gus Kenworthy knows his. I mean, I hope they bring in more people than <laughs> I don't know. Well, we will mark our calendars to watch that show and we'll follow back. But okay, I mean, apparently they're Bachelor Nation which whatever I think that's a thing <laughs> a that thing. they really call themselves like to the extent that bachelor nation is excited for the gay season of the bachelor. Okay. Uh, welcome to the family Colton. You're welcome here. Even if you had a really bad path <laughs> in life up to now. Uh, and you know, obviously we wish everybody the best. I don't know if anybody has checked in on Cassie, but somebody might want to <laughs> check your girl. Cassie might be, you know, going through it right now. Like she, this is probably a lot of really unwanted attention for her. I mean, hopefully he's no longer jumping over fences and can control that part. So we'll girl, see. Don't jump. <laughs> I, <laughs> I guess Gus will tell him about that. <laughs> All right, so what's going on in the world of sports? All right, in sports this week, it was time for the WNBA draft. The WNBA turns 25 this year, and the season should be pretty exciting. There are only 12 teams in the league, so roster spots are scarce, and it won't be surprising if many of the players drafted this week don't make a roster this year, but keep your eyes out because they might show up as a star of the future. Hometown favorites, the Washington Mystics, had no picks in the draft, having traded their first-round pick to the Dallas Wings in a deal to get Tina Charles. And Dallas did not waste the opportunity. They had the best night in the draft with the numbers one, two, and five picks. Dallas didn't even make the playoffs last year, so they will be a team to watch because they could be making a total transformation. The draft was streamed live online. Dallas took Texas star Charlie Collier with the first pick and three international players who have already played professionally were picked in the first round as well. The WNBA also released the 2021 schedule this week. The season will tip off on May 14th. All teams will play 32 games in the regular season, which incorporates a month-long Olympic break. The Mystics will open the season at home against the Chicago Sky in a game that will feature three former MVPs, the Sky's Candace Parker, who was the MVP in 2008 and 2013, and the Mystics' Elena Del Don, who was MVP in 2015 and 2019, and Tina Charles, who was the MVP in 2012. Both Del Don and Charles sat out last season for medical reasons, and the Mystics will be happy to have them both back on the court as the Mystics look to get back into their 2019 WNBA championship form. The reigning champion Seattle Storm come into the 2021 season as the favorites, but I think the Mystics have to be considered the favorite in the Eastern Conference. Gabe, are you looking forward to the upcoming WNBA season? I am. I'm really interested to see what Dallas does, with, especially with their picks. I wonder if they're trying to be the new Comets, uh, <laughs> which is interesting. So I was like, and it's interesting to see how many international players were selected, uh, which I thought was really cool. Yeah, well, I think because, you know, they have this whole thing about when they become eligible, um, if they're international, like because they're prof playing professionally overseas. Um, that counts or. Well, but I think, you know, like for whatever reason, the class coming out of college this year in the United States wasn't considered one of the best draft classes. So it was interesting to see. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of young 
young women being drafted and I, you know, the WNBA, there's just fewer roster spots than the NBA. So most of these players aren't necessarily going to make their roster this year. Um, I I mean, it's going to be kind of hard because like with last year being such a weird, interesting year in sports, yeah, um, especially with college, you know, basketball uh, for the women, how, we talked about this before. How can you really judge how they play and, you know, go over their skills and stuff like that when they really didn't play? Well, the reality is, too, that, like, if you've watched the WNBA the last couple years, I mean, last year aside, because it was a little bit of an anomaly, a lot of players didn't play, et cetera, et cetera. But if you've watched the WNBA the last few years, you know that the talent level across the board in the WNBA is at an all-time high, right? Like, every team in the WNBA has a pretty stacked roster. There aren't, not, there aren't a lot of teams looking to fill a lot of needs And then you have a draft class coming out that's not considered super um, competitive. So it, it, you know, it does, it, it does make the draft a little bit of an afterthought um, because I don't think anybody thought that there were, you know, I mean, look, Dallas needed, you know, a boost and they got one. Right. So, you know, they're going to be, um, the exception to what I'm saying, right? And maybe they become a front runner, go from being a bottom dweller to a front runner because of the draft, which is great. Um, but I think you know they're going to be the exception to the rule, not you know. I mean, if you're if you're talking about like how big the state of Texas is, and you know, at one time Texas had three WNBA teams, and then two of them folded and were moved to other places. It's interesting to see. The talent, um, especially since Dallas is starting to pick more Texas teams. If you look at all the, um, you know, the teams coming from Texas stuff, of course, UConn, their players are going to be like the best ones and the number ones are going to be picked and everything like that. But hey, don't sleep on the University of South Carolina, lady. <laughs> there is a lot of talent in Texas, and it's interesting to see that being picked up now. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, it's cool. I'm excited because the 25th anniversary, I'm sure the WNBA is going to do some cool celebrations. that will be fun to watch. Um, and I'm excited to go to some Mystics games because the Mystics are one of the more fun teams to watch, I think, in the WNBA. And they're right here at home and it's affordable and easy to get to. So that's, uh, that's very cool. Um, I'm surprised. I don't know if I'm surprised or not. Like I'm a little bit surprised that the league hasn't gotten any bigger. The season hasn't gotten any longer. Um, after 25 years, like I would have thought that the league would have either folded or expanded by now, but they seem to have found a sweet spot where, you know, the teams are doing well enough to keep the league going strong. And so, you know, I'm all for it. Let's get more women's sports on TV, please. Yeah, so I was a former uh, San Antonio Stars fan. So I guess I can switch over to the Mystics. I mean, the Stars moved to Vegas. They haven't been around since 2017. So I it's guess it's not I should... a thing. There's nothing. There's no divided I guess I should loyalties. pick a team. Yeah, there's no divided loyalties to worry about. The Mystics are actually <laughs> a very fun team. I, I recommend getting into the Mystics. I'm slowly converting over my Texas teams to DC area teams. I mean, I'm, I've, I've always been a Nats fan. Uh, just because, again, sorry, Alex, but um, the Astros cheat <laughs> with banging on a trash can. Very Doug funny of them. Uh, and then the Rangers are just the Rangers. So I'm like, yeah, I'm a Nats fan. So I, 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 can, I guess I can start. I will always be a Spurs fan. Sorry, I mean, I, listen, I'm not advocating fan. giving up your Texas teams. Like, I'm always going to be a New York fan. 
<laughs> but the Liberty, I will cheer never, on the mystics. The Liberty were not like ones that I was super invested in ever. Um, so that was like an easy loyalty to switch. Um, but like, I'm not going to become a Nats fan over a Mets fan. I'm not suggesting that, but your Texas team doesn't exist anymore. So there's no divided loyalties. There's nothing, there should be nothing holding you back in this, in this specific instance. That is true. And I mean, we are talking about the, you know, world champion mystics. So I'll take that. Well, no, technically no, (laughs) there was a championship last year and Seattle did win it. Uh, Fine. We don't count 2020, 2020 doesn't count. I mean, I, you know, I tend to agree, but for the fans in Seattle, we should give them a little fine, bit of respect. Fine. All right, Seattle. Uh, great. <laughs> <laughs> so what's going on in the intersection of sports and queer? All right. Uh, at the intersection of sports and queer, we are still talking about trans athletes and the unique challenges they are currently facing. As we have been discussing, there is an onslaught of attacks against trans athletes right now. State lawmakers have proposed about 30 different bills spread over 20 different states that would limit or prohibit trans athletes from competing in women's sports. But in the midst of these coordinated attacks, we got some positive news this week. The NCAA, the governing body of college athletics, put out a statement reaffirming its commitment to supporting trans athletes. The NCAA statement starts, quote, the NCAA Board of Governors firmly and unequivocally supports the opportunity for transgender student athletes to compete in college sports. This commitment is grounded in our values of inclusion and fair competition. The NCAA went on to reference its policies relating to the participation of trans athletes in college sports, which have already existed. Importantly, the NCAA policy does not require gender confirming surgery or legal recognition of a player's transitioned sex in order for transgender players to participate on a team which matches their identity. The recommended NCAA policy does require one year of hormone treatment as a condition prior to trans women competing on a female team. Conversely, athletes assigned female at birth remain eligible to compete in women's sports unless or until that athlete begins a physical transition using testosterone. Regarding its policies, the NCAA said in its statement this week, our approach, quote, embraces the evolving science on this issue and is anchored in participation policies of both the International Olympic Committee and the U.S. Olympic and Paralympic Committee. Inclusion and fairness can coexist for all student athletes, including transgender athletes at all levels of sport. Our clear expectation as the association's top governing body is that all student athletes will be treated with dignity and respect. We are committed to ensuring that NCAA championships are open for all who earn the right to compete in them. Finally, and maybe most importantly, the NCAA statement went on to say, quote, when determining where championships are held, NCAA policy directs that only locations where hosts can commit to providing an environment that is safe, healthy, and free of discrimination should be selected. We will continue to closely monitor these situations to determine whether NCAA championships can be conducted in ways that are welcoming and respectful of all participants. Now, the NCAA is walking a bit of a fine line here. It still has not committed to moving championships out of states that are considering the current bills. 
When asked for clarification, the NCAA provided a follow-up statement in an email stating, quote, the Board of Governors continues to monitor the situation and has not made final decisions about the future of championships. Notably, in 2016, the NCAA moved seven championships, including the first and second rounds of the biggest of them all, the men's basketball championships, out of North Carolina in response to the state's anti-trans bathroom law, and North Carolina later repealed that law. The NCAA knows that it has leverage and power to protect its trans athletes by moving championships, and many organizers and opponents of the currently proposed laws are pushing the NCAA to use it. And for good reason. The NCAA says it will not hold a championship in a state that won't, quote, commit to providing an environment that is safe, healthy, and free of discrimination. So how in the world... (laughs) Could a state where it is illegal for trans women to participate in sports possibly do that? So I don't know, Gabe, what do you think about the tightrope the NCAA is walking right now? I, I mean, I think they're, they're, they're trying to flex their muscles as best as they can. You know, we saw what happened with the uh, with uh, Major League Baseball and stuff like that. But when, when they're actually saying, like, you know what? We're going to try, you know, we, we're putting in this clause saying, like, yes, we support trans athletes and we are going to try to, you know, move our political power and our, in our money and our dollars and everything going on. Um, it's, but it's one of those, like, are they really doing that? Or are they just saying these words kind of, well, we don't know. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing, right? Like they're not doing as best as they can because just four years ago they went further and took the step of actually moving the championships instead of just considering it. Yeah. And North Carolina repealed its law. In part because of that, right? Like it wasn't solely the NCAA moving the men's. That was the start. That was a catalyst. You know, if they yeah, moved I mean, you know, other, play, other lot, venues. And yeah, there were a lot of economic moving. pressures, right? And they yeah. repealed the law and that was the right result. Now, I mean, North Carolina still has a pretty shitty law in place, but at least they repealed that one. Um, so, you know, the NCAA knows exactly that it has not done everything yet. Like they're still a step behind. Um, and I don't know what's holding them back from just pulling that final trigger and saying, no, these laws are just as bad as those bathroom laws, if not worse. And we're not having championships anywhere where they pass. Um, I mean, I don't know, but hopefully it's they're trying to maybe come up with a case or do some research or whatever. That way they can back it up. But I don't know, because now these these uh, laws are specifically specifically targeting sports. Right. So they might but be I doing mean, a little bit more research, but I'm like, no, you should be voicing your opinion even more now. Right. The NCAA it's a, is about it's affecting. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's affecting your organization. Um, yeah. Even I mean, more now because it's yeah, it's, it's, it's if targeting the NCAA sports, has a job. It's to protect college athletes. Right. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I hope that they. um just take that final step and say, no, we're not doing it. If you pass one of these laws, we're not bringing the championships to your state. Um, but we'll see. Um, I, I have a feeling that, you know, if the time comes and a championship is imminent and the law has actually passed, they will say no. I think they're, they're trying to hold back and not be at the front line of the fire while the laws are still in consideration and hoping that, um, other pressure from other entities is going to be enough to make it so that the laws never pass and they never have to make that statement, which, okay. I mean, listen, 
I get it. Like right now, currently, um, people like Ted Cruz are out in Congress, like with specifically retaliatory laws. Like he's proposing a law to end Major League Baseball's um, exception exemption from antitrust laws, and he's doing yeah. it in a blatantly retaliatory way. So, I mean, you know, I get why you don't want to be at the front of this if you don't have to, but I certainly hope that if it comes down to it and a state passes one of these laws that the NCAA isn't going to hide behind wishy-washy language and they're going to do the right thing and say, we can't speak out of both sides of our mouth. We can't at the one time say we're not going to have a championship anywhere where they don't commit to providing a safe, healthy, and discrimination-free environment. And then at the same time, have a championship in a state that makes it illegal for trans athletes to compete. I mean, that it makes in the tournament that you're hosting. Sense. Yeah. I mean, you absolutely <laughs> cannot like square those two things at the same time. So I, I'm pretty optimistic that the NCAA would do the right thing here. If it comes to it, let's hope it doesn't. Let's hope that all of the organizers and um, people that are working so hard right now to oppose these laws are successful and we get them all off the books and don't have to worry about it i mean hopefully with this statement that the ncaa did is hopefully bringing a little bit of fuel to what's going on and saying like hey you know this is the possibility this is something you need to think about is also like nudge nudge it's the economics of it as well because uh money talks sadly in the u.s i mean 100 percent. i mean listen major league baseball had to be out there on the forefront because the the all-star game planning is already underway. So they couldn't wait, right? They had to go ahead and make the decision. And so, you know, but everybody knows what that means. Like the economics of losing the all-star game is very similar to the economics of losing the final four, right? So, you know, people, they know, and we'll see, we'll see where this goes, but I'm like, listen, I'm not necessarily super optimistic that we're going to win all these fights and that some of these laws aren't going to get passed, but I'm pretty optimistic that the NCAA won't let us down if it comes to it. Yeah. Cause like one of the, uh, the tough things too, like, I, so I always follow, of course, Texas politics because yeah, Texas best state in the, in the uh, nation. Um, (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but, that's, uh, abs- that's absurd but okay, okay. <laughs> the thing with texas too is that we have this really strange interesting way of doing our legislation which is the texas legislature only meets every other year on odd years for six months out of the year to do all the laws for two years so right now yes it makes sense it made sense sometime in cowboy times i don't know why we still do it but we do uh, then everybody goes back to their normal jobs. You have to go back to their ranch and make sure nobody's stealing their steeds. Yes. And then go back to Austin. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. So it, there's a uh, anti-transgender sports bill that passed the Senate, you know, this week. And it's one of these things where it's like, if you know Texas politics, you know that if you want to get any lobbying done, anything done, you got to do it in January, February, because by right now in April, they're already voting. And by May, they're like, we're we're done. And then June, it's like, bye, everyone. We'll see, see you in two in, years. We'll see you in 2023. <laughs> and yeah, for states like that, where it's like, no, we have to start doing something now and actually voicing our opinions like last month, because yeah, you have a very limited time. And if you're a state rep or state senator, 
who's trying to pass all the legislation you can in two for two years in a limited amount of time because that's what the governor says uh it's yeah things can get lost and things can get um pushed you know in the, in the back burner and it's like no we still need to you know write to our local reps and our local senators and say hey this is stupid why are you doing this focus on something important that's actually going on like i don't know gun reform or like anything uh, anything you know, anything that matters COVID, you know anything. anything that like is really affecting us right now uh <laughs> and yeah but you know we also all can call our local reps i mean you know do it if you're from texas if you're from oklahoma you know call these people and tell them what you want them to do while you're at it this week take five minutes call your senator tell them that you want them to pass the john lewis voting rights act and the for the people act because you want them to save democracy uh and tell them that you're not going to take you're not going to take them hiding behind the filibuster as a good excuse that they need to pass these laws and they can't let a procedural rule be the reason that they don't pass call your senator today it's that's really important i'll I'll make sure that ted cruz and john cornyn know (laughs) hey listen i don't have all my friends to call back home yeah since we don't have senators yeah i don't have a senator so i you know there's little that i can do but i'm text banking to people who live in states that have senators on the fence to try to encourage them to call their senators because it's you know sometimes you live in dc and you don't have representation that's all you can do but that, hey, yeah, to, all you, all, everybody out there listening that doesn't live in D.C., please call your senators this week and tell them how important it is that they save our democracy. Yes, especially for the uh, what? How many people live in D.C.? Plenty. Plenty of people that don't have senators or representation. More people yes, than please live do in us South a favor. Dakota. <laughs> exactly. Or Wyoming. Much Whatever. love to Wyoming and South Dakota. And even if there were three of us, it wouldn't be okay (laughs) to take our money in taxes and not give us representation in Congress. (laughs) Honestly. Soon, there was a floor vote. Soon, we'll see. No, I know. uh, They're going to vote in like a week and a half. Yes. Yeah. But uh, to all our listeners. You know, anyway, while you're at it, call your senators. Yeah, if you don't live in D.C., please call your senators. (laughs) Tell them Lauren Gabe sent you. That's right. Okay, that's this week's Under the Bleachers Roundup of things queer, things sports, and things at the intersection of sports and queer. We're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to share our interview with pro rugby player Casey Renard of Old Glory, D.C. Welcome back to Under the Bleachers. Uh, Today we're joined by Casey Renard from Old Glory Rugby. Uh, Casey is originally from South Burlington, Vermont, and played lock at Cutstown University in Pennsylvania. Old Glory DC selected Casey as the 11th pick in the 2020 Major League Rugby Collegiate Draft. The 6'8 Ruggers projected to play lock for OG and will be joining the team after training in New Zealand. So, hey, Casey, how's it going? Doing well, Gabe. How are you? Doing well. So, can you tell us a little bit about yourself? How did you get started in rugby? Yeah, first of all, thanks for having me. Um, I got started playing rugby when I was 14 years old, I believe. Um, high school and fr- freshman in high school. Um, went to practices and games with my moms growing up, believe it or not. They both played um, throughout their college and club days and continued to catch an old girls match every once in a while. But um, 
I, yeah, pretty much started out seeing them uh, coaching on the field from the sidelines growing up as a young little, young little lad. And um, when the time came where I could join the high school club, that is what I did. Outstanding. Not everybody. Yeah. Not everybody was so lucky to have a high school club where they grew up, but that's, uh, or a rugby family. Yeah. Or a rugby (laughs) family. Yeah. All the above. Yeah. Um, all right. So mo- a lot of the people I'm sure, you know, here in the United States are not that familiar with the sport. So can you give us your elevator pitch, your two minute description, description of the game of rugby? Sure. Yeah. So for those, um, that are unfamiliar with rugby, it is a 80 minute match where players, uh, pass, kick, run, make line breaks, scrum, and uh, throw each other in the air in order to try and score in the opposing team's try zone. Um, players play offense and defense and take on several roles throughout the game in order to succeed. All right, I think that about covers it. <laughs> All with just wearing a mouth guard. Yeah, yeah. Mouth garden cleats. That's all you need. <laughs> cool. So, uh, so you grew up playing rugby. You played in college. But what was it like with your first training session with Old Glory? Oh, my first training session with Old Glory um, was about a month ago, and I believe it was a started on a Monday. So um, it was a speed speed session followed by a gym session, and. Uh, it was good. There was only about um, six of us here like in the area at the time. Um, so, but Mark, our SNC guy, gave us some like really helpful, gave me particularly some really helpful critiques and stuff when it comes to form and um, making your body, making my body run as efficiently as possible. And it was, uh, you know, just like stepping into that environment with other players that are even better than you are like it it instantly kind of makes you a better player as well and um yeah it's just really exciting to be there well so now you're a professional rugby player you know is that like was that something was your dream as a kid or you know was that something you always aspired to do um as soon as rugby like um you know, in 2016 or 2017 or whatever it was when pro rugby was the first professional league in the U.S., uh, whenever they launched, that was, like, kind of the first even um, taste of, like, the possibility of, of playing um, professionally, I guess. And, you know, when I was a – I was still, like, a pretty tall, lanky freshman, sophomore in college – even um so as my junior and senior year came around that was like when it even dawned on me that there was a possibility to play and my coach doc jones at Kutztown, um you know talked to kind of like put out some um you know nice words about me to tim brown who was the manager of the team at the time and uh i'd been had a few conversations with him so as as time went on like it kind of became more of a more of a realistic possibility and and then um as soon as they announced the collegiate draft that was like 
wow, like this, this is actually could be something that can actually happen. And, um, you know, why not give it a try? Like it's, you, you never turn down an opportunity to keep playing rugby, especially as the levels keep, keep going up. And, you know, since then it's just, yeah, continue saying yes to the possibilities. That's one of those cool moments where it's like, oh, it's happening. <laughs> For sure. Yeah. I, I'm still pinching myself a little bit. A little surreal, I guess. <laughs> yeah. I'm, here with guys that have like 50 caps for 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 Canada and, and the states for that matter and it's yeah pretty it's like uh what is false entitlement or something whatever that that's <laughs> we're like do you really deserve to be here but you got a little the, imposter syndrome imposter syndrome yeah <laughs> there you go All right. do you have any uh, role models or anyone that influenced you in your rugby career y- yeah so early on actually my mom's like believe it or not I would say you know one of them, uh, one of them started the women's program at the University of Michigan, um, and did a lot of coaching in our area growing up. Um, directed youth rugby in Vermont for a number of years, um, and the other one played a ton of rugby in Atlanta uh, for the Harlequins down there, and played with the women's national team for a few years as well. So it's like some big shoes to fill I guess um <laughs> but but now like look now I look up to guys like playing internationally um and uh you know watch a lot of second row film and stuff like that and you know kind of pick up on what makes makes those guys as good as they are um well you've mentioned your moms a couple of times so we know that you have some love for the LGBT community um what do you think um about inclusiveness in rugby do you think that rugby is a is an inclusive sport when it comes to racial issues as well as lgbt issues yeah absolutely i would um i would say that you know every just about every city in the country has at least one uh club competing at some level whether that be socially or or competitively and there's hundreds of clubs across the, you know, the entire country that, um, you know, from what, from everything that I've seen always welcome new players and are like really great when it comes to welcoming new people into the sport. And I don't think that, um, that, you know, stops at any particular sexual orientation or, or race or, you know, identity, you know, there's, there's clubs specifically that, you know, promote, um, promote LGBTQ team, like full on teams actually. Um, and that's awesome to see that. I mean, it's really great to see like just the inclusivity of this, this sport as a whole, I would say. Yeah. hundred percent. Um, have, like, we have point? two international gay rugby teams in the district of Columbia. Um, yeah. the Washington renegades have been around for about, oh, gosh, I think they just had their 30th anniversary and yeah. they were one of the original international gay rugby teams. And then we have a newer team, the Washington Scandals, who Gabe has been playing for. So we do have that. And um, also a number of women's teams who are member clubs of Team DC, um, our organization, which focuses on LGBTQ inclusive groups. So um, we have two women's clubs that are members of Team DC, the DC Furies and the DC Revolution. So yeah, there's so cool. definitely a lot of rugby and inclusive rugby <laughs> around here. Oh, so good, yeah. Uh, do you have any advice for any young players or any uh, young LGBTQ uh, ruggers that are kind of nervous about getting involved in the sport? I would say having you know, participated in sports from a young age, I 
I would highly encourage young younger people or people of all walks of life to give sports a try. You know, there's there's so much to be gained in being in the team environment. You know, like pushing yourself mentally and physically. Um, you know, committing to something that to that that might seem hard or scary in the beginning, and then realizing that you accomplish something impressive, whether that be personally or collectively with the team and, you know, the confidence that builds over time and the leadership opportunities that emerge along the way, you know, those are all invaluable, invaluable things and make, make it well worth, in my opinion, getting involved. And, and if you're, if you're still nervous about your identity, you know, you know, like we just talked about, people are, are so welcoming and, and friendly once you get to know them and, you know, believe it or not, I think there's far more good people in the world than, than bad. So, I, you know, I'd say, you know, jump right in and, and see all that life and sport has to offer. Yeah. I think that's good advice. Um, well, let me ask you this. You're about 12 years old. So I have a hard time believing that you've already hit your career goals, but is there any one highlight or favorite memory from your rugby career so far that you want to tell us about? And then do you have, um, what's your greatest future aspiration in the sport? <laughs> um, I would have to say that having the opportunity to travel to New Zealand uh, last year would definitely be a career highlight. Uh, I went over there in January and picked up with a club in uh, Fungamata on the North Island, um, had a chance to go there at least for some time, but, uh, yeah, coach Andrew connected me with a coach over there on the North Island and spent a very few enjoyable months on the coast, um, in the, in the Southern hemisphere of summer down there, um, playing rugby, meeting some great people and, and, and doing my thing down there. But, um, in the future, I would love to, continue just you know doing what I can for this team in, in DC and if another uh overseas opportunity comes up uh along the way I, I wouldn't hesitate at the opportunity to uh to keep exploring the uh the rugby world as it is so rugby is fairly professional rugby is fairly new to the region with old glory what do you what would you say to a new fan who's never attended a rugby match hmm um, be prepared to be a little bit confused the first time, I would say, um, but to get, keep giving it, uh, you know, some chances. But, you know, be prepared to be around a lot of, uh, you know, tons of passionate fans, um, watch a very entertaining game, and um, don't be surprised if you end up having a great time, even if you have no idea what's going on on the field. And no booing. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Yeah, keep your uh, – Keep your opinions to yourself. <laughs> the ref's not going to change any decisions on field as much as uh, you think you can change your mind. Um, so give us a little preview. What do you think we can expect to see from Old Glory this year? Yeah, I think you can see um, they had an awesome team last year. Um, a lot of strong players, really, really solid foundation to build on from the 4-1 record from last year um, before the season got cut short. But I think you can see a lot of the same, like fast paced, hard hitting, uh, you know, in your face rugby that, that brought um, Old Glory a lot of success last year. And I am very much uh, excited to be a part of that. Um, the, the fan experience at 
at um, at the games from what I've heard have been incredible. And uh, we just signed or have a new partnership with Segra Field in um, which is a far a much bigger venue. Um, so, you know, there'll be the, the, the match day festivities will be um, pumping and there will be, you know, some tailgating, I'm sure. Um, who knows how much this year. Um, but um, yeah, I think there's a lot to look forward to between the rugby, the, the buzz around the stadium and the, and the fan experience. And um, well, are you planning to bring run. home a cup or what? Of course, Laura. Of course <laughs> we are. I was like, what are you getting at? Are you going to give us the punchline or no? <laughs> yeah, you better believe that we're expecting to be there on August 1st. Yeah, competing for the cup and bringing it home at the end of the day. Okay. All right. Awesome. Well, I think we have to let you go, but we are so grateful to have had you join us. Um, thanks for making the time and tell everybody, shout out the old glory social media and any other information you want to tell people about where to find you, where to get tickets and uh, how to become the next big old glory fan. Sure. Yeah. Give, uh, give all the socials a follow at old glory DC. Um, on you know facebook instagram twitter um we have information coming out in the next couple days about streaming information um stay tuned it's going to be a really exciting season and we can't wait to have uh have everyone there uh watching and supporting and cheering along awesome thanks again casey yeah no problem thank you for having me yeah i can't wait to see you all in the field well hopefully soon we'll be there tailgating with everybody looking forward to it yeah Thanks for listening to this episode of Under the Bleachers. Under the Bleachers is proudly produced by and a product of Team DC. For more information about Team DC, please visit www.teamdc.org. We want to give credit to Ralph Elston for the design of our logo. Also, our music is provided by DC's Different Drummers Marching Band and was composed by Travis Gettinger. You can always find Under the Bleachers at underthebleachers.podbean.com and on all major podcast apps, including Apple, Google, Spotify, iHeartRadio, and Stitcher. Please remember to rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast and share us with a friend who might enjoy listening. Under the Bleachers is hosted by Team DC board members, Laura Frere and Gabriel Hernandez. All views and opinions expressed are solely those of the host and participants of Under the Bleachers and do not express the views of Team DC.